today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Why did Herod want to see Jesus? He wanted the show. He wanted some miracle. He wanted some parlor trick to take place. The unfortunate thing is a lot of people, you know, in their Christian walk, they, they want to see some show. They want to see some parlor trick. They want to see something rather than understanding that many times the work of God works from the inside out. And it's not about show. It's not about parlor tricks. And yet Herod, he wasn't going to submit himself to the truth of God. He wasn't going to submit himself to understand and to know what the kingdom of God was all about. Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, is not a cosmic genie. He does not perform signs and wonders on demand. Pastor David points out in today's powerful message that many approach God hoping for a miracle. However, these same people miss out on the most important and dynamic relationship that is only granted to us by the death of God's only Son, Jesus Christ. A valid and true relationship with God requires us to submit in humility and obedience to the Lord so that we may be sanctified into His righteousness. Now here's Pastor David with part two of his message entitled, On Mission. you know what? The Lord does not work in our logic. He's not limited to our resources in any way, shape, or form. When the Lord calls us to something where God guides, God provides. That's an old saying that has been around Calvary chapels for years, where God guides, God provides. And we have seen that over and over and over. We've seen it in our personal life. We've seen it in the life of this ministry, that God will provide if he is directing, if he is leading. But there's another area, too, that we look at. How does God provide? How does God meet the needs that are here? I believe that, again, Jesus wanted these men to understand that God was going to supply their mission resources, but he was going to do it through those who had received them and their ministry. He was going to provide their ministry resources by those who accepted their ministry and their message, by those who had benefited from their ministry and their message. I believe that Jesus expected the people who were being ministered to that they would in turn then minister to the disciples in real and intangible ways. We find that truth again as we enter into the life of the church, as we get into the book of Acts and we get into the teachings of the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul gives very clear instructions of financial support for ministers. In talking to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5 about financial responsibility and financial support from those who are being ministered to by the gospel, Paul says, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. 
especially those who labor in the word and in doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. The laborer is worthy of his wages. The very same words that Jesus spoke to the disciples as he sent them out. The very same thing. Speaking about that same idea, that idea of supporting those that are committed to ministry, laboring in word and doctrine. In 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us in chapter 9, he says, he talks about those who preach the gospel. He says, who goes to war at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit? Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Do I say these things as a mere man, or does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out grain. Now, he keeps referring to those in the ministry as oxen, and I'm not real sure about that, but uh, uh, that is how he brings it in. That's what the Word of God declares. But he asks a question. He says, is it oxen that God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes, for our understanding? He answers his question. He says, he says, for our sakes, no doubt. For it's written that he who plows should plow in hope. And he who threshes in hope should be a partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? And then he gives an example from those that serve in the temple. He says, do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the holy things of the temple and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. So when Paul makes this statement in verse 15 that even so the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel, it's understood that he's referring to the very same principle that Jesus is sharing with his disciples here in Luke 9 and a little bit later in Luke 10 as well as in Matthew chapter 10 and also in Mark 6. So let's get back to the Luke 9 passage. Jesus continues on and he gives them clear mission instructions. In verse 4, he says, whatever house you enter, you stay there, and from there depart, and whoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. My wife, Tot, and I, we served in Kansas City, Kansas, or Kansas City, Missouri for a very long season of our life. It's actually about a year and a half, but uh, uh, it seemed like a decade. Um, when, when we left there, this verse came to our mind, shake the dust off of our sandals as we leave. So as we crossed the, what was it, the uh, Mississippi River and uh, came back home, we, I think we stopped, took our shoes off and dusted them off as we left. But that's a whole other issue we won't get into there this morning. We, we, we see here that all through the ministry of Jesus, some received his message and some didn't. How would it be not the same for his disciples as they go out? Some are going to receive their message and some won't. How would it not be the same for you and I today? And sometimes we share the hope of the gospel that's with us. We, we, we share the truth of the testimony of what God has done in our lives. And some will say, oh, that's fine for you, but that's not what I need. Oh, you, you radicals, you fanatics, you, you Jesus freaks, you, you, you've got a crutch. You, I don't have a crutch. I've got a whole hospital, okay? And, uh, and Jesus is the one, man. Uh, I, I have no problem with that at all. Some receive the truth. Some don't receive the truth. It happened in Jesus' time. Understand, it will happen 
in our time. And that's why he told his disciples, you know what? Don't, don't fret over that. Don't, don't get overwhelmed by that. That's just the reality and the truth. Some will receive the truth of the scripture, but many will not. What Jesus is telling them, don't let it deter you from continuing on in the mission. There are others who will hear. There are others who will receive that truth. So meanwhile, back in Luke 9, the disciples departed, and apparently their ministry was a success. In verse 6, it says, They departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. What, a, what an awesome thing that had to be. Mark, in his gospel account, tells us that Jesus sent them out two by two. Two by two. Peter and James, John and Andrew, Bartholomew. Oh my gosh, I got partnered up with Judas Iscariot. Can you imagine being that guy, partnered up with Judas Iscariot? Now, for you, at that point in time, they thought that Judas kind of had it going. They, they thought that he was, he, was, he was a good guy. They had absolutely no clue. So being partnered up with Judas Iscariot, you might think that, wow, he's so much closer to the Lord than I am. He probably knows so much more. I'm so unworthy, unworthy, unworthy. Now, I don't think the disciples might have gone that way, but to understand, yeah, even with Judas Iscariot, they were partnered up. They went out, and yet, even through that, the Lord worked through them. Why? Because it was Judas's authority and power? No, because it was Jesus's authority and power moving and working through them. And yet, we understand too, even as, again, they, they were able to preach the gospel, even as they saw healing everywhere, with every great mission work, with every work of God, you and I need to understand that the offense will come up, that the detractors will come up, that, again, those against the gospel will raise up, and we see the very thing here. Whenever the work and the word of the Lord is being done with success and lives are being changed, you know what? We're going to gain the attention of the enemy of our souls. And when the work of God is going, well, is going well, then you and I need to be guaranteed of the fact that strife is going to enter, that the enemy is going to try and get a foothold. And it happened during Jesus' time. It continues to happen in our time. All through the church age, there's been arisen these who take great offense at the gospel, they're detractors. They're, they're the ones that try to destroy that very work of God. They try to silence the word of God. They stifle the spirit of God. And while the disciples are out making these inroads into the lives of the people in the Galilean area, Herod, the Roman ruler of Galilee in that area, he got wind of the miracles. He got wind of the message of Jesus. And look what it says here in verse 7. Now Herod, the tetrarch, heard of all that was done by him, done by Jesus. And he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the old prophets had risen again. You, you got to understand, this guy is very superstitious. He's not trusting in God. He's so far from God, he'll fall into anything. And we see that so much today. People that are so far from the truth, they will fall for any lie of the enemy. Herod did not know what to think about this. He says in verse 9, John, I beheaded, but who is this of whom I hear such things? He says, and so he sought to see him. He sought to see him. 
oh, I'm sure he just probably wanted to have him over for coffee and bagels, you know, sit down and chat with him a little bit. No, there was a purpose why Herod wanted to see Jesus. Why would a man like him want to see Jesus? Did he desire to hear the oracles of God? I don't think so. Did he have some burning question in his life? Some, he desired some kind of godly counsel within his life? No, I don't think so. Maybe there was some kind of sickness or a disease and he knew that the miracle man from Nazareth would heal. I don't think that that's it either. As a matter of fact, we know that it's none of those reasons. As a matter of fact, we find out a little bit later in the Gospel of Luke that when Jesus was arrested in Jerusalem, he was under the authority and control of Pilate at that point in time. Pilate heard that Herod, the king or the ruler of Galilee, was also down in Jerusalem. And when Pilate heard that Herod was down there, he thought, wow, I'll send Jesus over to Herod. Maybe Herod could find something wrong with him. Herod could bring the accusation and the charges, and that way I could wash my hands of it. And what does the word say? Is that Pilate sent Jesus to Herod. Herod asked him a bunch of questions, and Jesus remained silent, not answering a word. As a matter of fact, when Herod saw Jesus, Luke tells us in Luke 23, when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he desired for a long time to see him because he had heard many things about them, and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. Why did Herod want to see Jesus? He wanted the show. He wanted some miracle. He wanted some parlor trick to take place. The unfortunate thing is a lot of people, you know, in their Christian walk, they, they want to see some show. They want to see some parlor trick. They want to see something rather than understanding that many times the work of God works from the inside out. And it's not about show. It's not about parlor tricks. And yet Herod, he wasn't going to submit himself to the truth of God. He wasn't going to submit himself to understand and to know what the kingdom of God was all about. No, he only wanted a show. He had beheaded John the Baptist because John the Baptist declared and spoke the truth. He spoke the truth that called for a change in Herod's life, but Herod did not want to change. And so he had imprisoned John and then later off with his head. Herod all he wanted was some show, to see some miracle done by him. Well, at this point, the time of events here in Luke 9, Herod didn't get the chance. Pretty soon we find out as we go on here that again, the, the disciples return. We now have, in essence, mission complete. They come back to tell Jesus all about it. Look at verse 10 here in Luke 9. In Luke 10, or yeah, Luke, Luke 9 in verse 10, we read that the apostles, when they had returned, told Jesus all that they had done. And then he took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. We saw just a moment ago about you know, how their mission was going. Man, they were preaching the gospel, they were healing the sick, and now they've come back and they're sharing this with Jesus. Mark tells us in his gospel account, he says, they went out and they preached that people should repent, and they cast out many demons. They anointed with oil many who were sick, and they healed them. There was no doubt that these men were both excited and exhausted. 
Ministry is, and I believe that ministry probably should be, both exhilarating and exhausting at the same time. If you're going to put yourself completely into the work of ministry, it will take from you. Someone who's serious about the work of ministry, who pours their heart into it, pours their soul into it every time they minister, rather that be uh, sharing with someone on the streets, praying for and interceding for a loved one or a need, uh, sharing the hope of the gospel with a family or a friend, or a neighbor, all of these things. It does take something out of you when you do it, when you do it with your whole heart. And there's many times you just need to be restored. You need to be refreshed, renewed back in the Lord. Not counting on the old things, but again, being renewed, being refreshed. Mark's account also shares with us that there, there were many coming and going at this point in time, and they didn't even have time to eat. That's how busy it was in the ministry. Understandably, they were exhausted totally. And so as Luke tells us, Jesus took them, went aside privately to a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. One additional item to note here as we look at this. This is the time there in verse 10 that Luke begins calling them apostles. Up until this time, they were disciples. Now they've been equipped, they've been empowered, they've gone out on mission, they've been sent out, and that's what the word apostle means, one who is sent out. And so here at this point in time, they are apostles. Now, a disciple is a learner from the teacher An apostle is one who is sent out as an ambassador for the teacher. And so through their mission success, they they graduated. Now, they'll always remain disciples. They'll always remain as learners, just as hopefully every one of us remain as learners all of our natural lives. But for these, they also became representatives of the Lord as they were sent out. They were also apostles. And even though one of them would betray him, the others, the other 11, what does the word say? They went out and they turned the world upside down, upside down as a strong representation of the master and of his ministry. You look at these guys, and we've shared with this as we've gone through the Gospel of Luke, and we've shared the situation, the reality that these men were just men. They were nothing special. I mean, the church, unfortunately, through the years, we've, we've put them on stained glass. We built statues and all kinds of icons about these men. But you need to understand so clearly that these men, these women who traveled with the Lord, they were men and women just like you and I. It was not, again, that they were some spectacular thing. No, it was the power of God working in these men, men who were devoted, yes, devoted to the Lord, sold out to the Lord, but it was the Lord working in them. Listen to what Albert Barnes, a pastor of the bygone ages and a writer of commentary for the book of Luke, he speaks about these few good men. He says, these are the type of men that God chooses. He says they're, they're not learned men and could not be supposed to spread their religion by art or talents. They were not men of wealth and could not bribe men to follow him. They were not men of rank or office and could not compel men to believe. They were just such men as are always found the best witnesses in courts of justice, plain men of common sense, of fair character, of great honesty, 
and with favorable opportunities of ascertaining the facts to which they bore witness. Such men everybody believes, and especially when they are willing to lay down their lives to prove their sincerity. Men, honest men, dedicated men, men that God could use, women that God could use in that same situation. Looking for a few good men, looking for a few good women. The word declares that it is, that, that again, the kingdom of God isn't populated by the masses. The kingdom of God is populated by the few. Wide is the gate to the way of destruction, but narrow is the way to life. There's only few that find it. There's only few that really and truly born again believers in Christ who are willing to be used, who are willing to be sold out to Christ, that I am his. And how about you? Not just the men, but the women also. And any of the young people too. The same thing. Are you willing to step up to what's called mission critical status to where your life matters within the kingdom of God. Mission critical status because you've devoted your heart. You've devoted your life. You want to be used by God. You don't want to just simply go along for the ride for your uh, 80, 90 years, whatever the Lord might give you. You want to be used by the, king, by the Lord for the kingdom of the Lord, for his glory and for his honor. Let me ask you, can God count on you in the mission? Are you willing to be that man? Are you willing to be that woman or that young person that God will not only invest his mission resources in and train you and work in you and move in your heart and life through the power of his Holy Spirit, but will entrust in your life mission success? Mission success. If the work and the hope of the gospel and the future of the gospel depended upon you as an individual, let me ask you how much hope would there be in the future of the gospel? You don't have to raise your hand. You, don't, you just answer that between you and the Lord. If mission critical was placed within your hands, is your life wholly and completely devoted? Are you willing and able to share the truth and the hope of the gospel that's within you? Beloved, we're all called to mission. When we come to Christ, we are called to mission. We are called for the glory of Christ and the glory of his kingdom, that our lives would honor him, that our lives would be a portrayal and a testimony of the truth and the hope of the gospel. It's a big call. It's a big responsibility. You've got to be trained. You've got to be proven and just as the disciples were, but God is looking for a few good missionaries to do his bidding, to carry his word, to glorify his kingdom. Are you up to the call this morning? As a believer, as I said, you and I are called. Every day we are called. We are called in season and out of season to bear testimony of what's true in our lives. We're called by the Lord to be on mission, ready to give reason for the hope that's within us. Are you ready for that? I'm reminded of one more thing about the Marine Corps. Semper fideles, simplify. Always faithful, always faithful. We too, as part of this mission, we're called to be always faithful. 
faithful in commitment, faithful in perseverance, but most of all, faithful in obedience to the call of Christ in our life. Have you done all that you can to prepare yourself for mission? Because if you are a believer in Christ, you are on mission. Learning more about Jesus is the single most important thing we can do as Christians. As we carefully consider how Jesus lived, we see beautiful examples that can apply to our lives. Though the entire Bible is rich with symbols and images that point to Jesus, the Gospels are grand central station for who Jesus is. Join us each day as Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although the open word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's word from beginning to end. Here's Tracy with more information about our service times here at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe you're listening right now in Casa Grande and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. at 6.30 p.m. every Wednesday and Saturday. For more information, call us at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Or log on to theopenword.com and follow the link to the church website. Thanks, Tracy. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Please join us next time for the next edition of The Open Word.